Pastor Xavier Reese and the power of prayer. Continue earnestly in prayer. Why? Because wives will not be able to submit to their husbands without praying to God. Husbands will not be able to love their wives and not be bitter against them without praying to God. Masters or employers will not be able to be just and fair unless they pray to God. You know why? Because when you go pray to God, you have to confess your sin. And when you confess it, He gives you grace. Then how can you not go out and give grace? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Ask any athlete, what's the secret to victory? From the Olympian to the quarterback, the answer is the same. Practice, practice, and more practice. Well, what's the secret to living the successful Christian life? That's the question Pastor Xavier sets out to answer in his continued study from the book of Colossians. Let's join him for today's lesson from chapter 4. Let's listen. The message is entitled, Practice for Living. Paul the Apostle comes to the concluding remarks of the practical section regarding the new man. And his emphasis is on the tongue in these five verses. It's that little member that resides in our mouth. It's called the beast behind the ivory cage. And it, it destroys, it defiles the whole world, James 3, 5 through 8 says. The tongue is an open sepulcher. It flatters, Psalm 5, 9 says. Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. He had a dirty mouth, Isaiah 6, 5. The psalmist says, they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adler's poison is under their lips. And that record is consistent through Scripture since the fall. For that reason, the psalmist says that he will keep his mouth with a muzzle. That's great advice. I've told you often, you know, that old proverb that says it's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. The believers to pray that the Lord set a guard over his mouth, keep a watch, a door over his lips. Psalm 141.3. Having been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his beloved son, we are instruments of God. We now serve Christ with our mouth, bringing glory and honor to him, being the mouthpiece of God to a dark world. What a difference. And therefore, Paul gives to us the new perspective here, the practical perspective of every believer as a new man by declaring Three responsibilities. Let me read our text here, verse 2 to 6. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us uh, a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walking wisdom to those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Three responsibilities to that new man. First, the believer is to be persistent in prayer, verse 2 through 4. Secondly, the believer is to be persistent in his walk, verse 5. And then thirdly, the believer is to be persistent in giving biblical answers. Three great truths for us this morning. Let's begin here with the first. The believer is to be persistent in prayer. 
great priority to prayer. You examine the letters of Paul. He prayed at the beginning. He prayed at the end. This very letter is no exception. Now notice first, in verse 2, the believer is commanded to continue earnestly in prayer. And the phrase continue earnestly means to be devoted, steadfast, to persevere. Stick to itness. That's a good word for us. The tense notice is the present imperative. This is to be going on an ongoing basis as a practice, unceasing. Now, we know we can't be on our knees 24 hours a day, but we do have times when we go to God in prayer and we wait upon him, and then we walk in an attitude of prayer, ready to see what God is going to direct and guide and say. Very important. Notice the word prayer. It's always used of addressing God. It's never used for addressing man, indicating the needs that only God can meet. You see, so often we are so wanting for man to tell us what to do, where to go, or, or how we're to live our life. And though we learn from one another, there are some things that you and I will have to go to God and God alone, and no one else can help you. There are some difficulties in your marriage, in your job, in your life that you're going to have to go through it with God alone. Some people don't like that because they're always looking towards man. Three samples will help us to understand this word, how it's in relationship to God. Jesus uses it in Matthew 17, 21, when he says that by prayer and fasting, that's the way they can cast these demons out. Things that only God can do. You go to God for these things. It's not within your own power. In Luke 6, 12, the word is used also by Jesus by praying to the Father after an entire night in prayer so that God, the Father, could tell him which 12 were going to be his disciples or his apostles. The disciples used it when they said, we will give ourselves continue to prayer and to the ministry of the word in Acts 6, 4. In other words, they would depend upon God to illuminate and give wisdom to teach the word. No one can... Give it to you apart from God. Total dependence on Him. Now notice, secondly, the believer is directed in the manner in which he is to pray. It is twofold. First, prayer is to be being vigilant. The word vigilant means to give strict attention or caution to, to guard and be alert mentally. Most of the tragic actions that happen with policemen is because they become careless, lackadaisical, in the normal, simple procedure. They get distracted. We're not to be distracted in the life of the Spirit. Vigilant. I need to be aware of what God would communicate to me when I go to prayer. I need to be sensitive that any distraction not take my thoughts away from God, that I'm focused on Him. I need to watch for the answer of my petitions. If I'm talking, the ratio speaks for itself, two ears and one mouth. I need to hear. If you're talking with somebody, after you get done, you expect a response. Now, by looking at some people, they don't want to hear nobody. They just want to hear themselves because you can't get a word in. <laughs> See you later. Make sure your relationship's not like that with God. Notice, secondly, that prayer is to be with thanksgiving. This is the seventh time thanksgiving has been mentioned 
chapter 1, verse 3, verse 12, 2, 7, 3, 15, 16, and 17. Here we are again. Different words are used, but it's all in relationship to thanksgiving. The idea is that of appreciation and gratitude for what God has done and is about to do. That when I come to prayer, the first thing I do is I worship God and I thank Him for all His goodness, what He's done and what He's doing. We don't just barge in and say, God, I, I, I need this right now. You know, you, you see your kids come in, they, Dad, can I have a... You know, hopefully we just come, we, we thank Him, we worship Him. Examine the model prayer, our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Worship and adoration before you even begin the petition. See, the person who is thankful is one who sees himself indebted to God for everything. All that he has. God's the source of it. It is a mark of appreciation of a servant who acknowledges the goodness of God. It's a mark of maturity. Be careful for nothing or anxious for nothing. Philippians 4, 6. Maturity. It is a command, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It is possible in the most difficult of situations, even as Paul the Apostle is writing from a Roman prison, and he's there by appointment. Philippians 1.12-14, we've seen that. Thanksgiving is possible in the most difficult situations. Some of you find yourself in a very difficult situation in your marriages, others in your job. Others in other relationships or whatever circumstances. And God has you there by appointment to learn the lessons. That you be thankful. That you look to Him. Don't miss those lessons. Notice the command is based on what Paul has just commanded each of the families. Don't disconnect what he's saying now with what he has just said before this. Chapter 3, verse 18, down to chapter 4, verse 1. He's telling them to continue earnestly in prayer. Why? Because wives will not be able to submit to their husbands without praying to God. Husbands will not be able to love their wives and not be bitter against them without praying to God. Children will not be able to obey their parents without praying to God. Parents will not be able to, prov to not provoke their children or not discourage them without praying to God. Bond servants or employees will not be able to be hard workers, faithful and trusting God without praying to God. Masters or employers will not be able to be just and fair unless they pray to God. You know why? Because when you go pray to God, you have to confess your sin. And when you confess your sin, you know you're a sinner. And when you say you're a sinner and you confess it, He gives you grace. Then how can you not go out and give grace? <laughs> And if you don't, then you're like that person, those two people that went to pray. Jesus said, one was a, a Pharisee, and he says, Oh, Father, I thank you. I'm not like other men, an extortioner, a fornicator, this and that. And the other, the publican, just didn't even look up to God, and he just struck his breast, and he says, Lord, be propitious to me, a sinner. Jesus says, That man prayed to himself. The other man walked away justified. You see, if you're really praying to God, you go before the throne of grace, and I go before the throne of grace, and I have to confess my sin, so I have to acknowledge that I'm not perfect, and when I receive grace from God, then I have to walk out ready to give grace also. It's just that simple. And if not, then I'm deceiving myself. Notice thirdly here in verses 3 and 4, the believer is asked to, um, to pray for those preaching the gospel. So Paul really is not asking for personal prayer as much as being the instrument of the gospel. 
Paul's petition was, pray for us. Paul, Timothy, and the others with him. He's going to mention them by name at the end of this chapter. They were with him at Rome. The same word is used for prayer as in verse 2 here, only to God. Notice the phrase, meanwhile. It means at the same time. In other words, he desired that when they prayed for their own needs, they might pray for them. He asked for fervent prayer. As he went to Jerusalem, you remember in Romans 15, 30, that the gift might be accepted by the Jews. Paul, the mighty apostle, he asked for prayer? Yes, I asked for prayer. I know people pray. They pray for the messages. They pray for what's going on. We have a prayer chain 24 hours a day. Prayer is so important. God works through prayer, and he does things through prayer. Sometimes we can see what he's doing directly through prayer. Sometimes we don't. We're going to blow our minds when we get to heaven. We find out how much he's done through prayer and who is praying. Right now, we don't know. Later on, he asked the Ephesians that they might pray that utterance would be given to him in Ephesians 6.18, which he will also ask here later on. He asked the Thessalonians, pray for us, 1 Thessalonians 5.25. You remember Samuel, the people said, oh, Samuel, don't stop praying for us. He says, God forbid that I should sin and not pray for you. Whoa, 1 Samuel 12.23. It's a sin not to pray. Now notice Paul's petition was specific for the opportunity to preach the gospel, okay? The phrase open door for the word literally refers to the opportunity to preach. He uses it in 1 Corinthians 16, 9 and 2 Corinthians 2, 12. Open door, an open door, opportunity. To the church of Philadelphia, the message of Jesus was he identified himself as he who has the keys of David, he who opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens, Revelation 3, 7. I just came back last week from doing a conference with the smaller Calvaries, doors that God opens up that we go. We go and we minister. We go to give. We don't go to take. Open doors to preach the gospel, to minister, to pour out what God has poured into us, to others freely. That's what he's praying for here. Till the open door speaks of the blessing, of the protection, the opportunity. You remember that Paul gathered the church Coming out of his first missionary journey in Acts 14, 27, what was the first thing he told them? He showed them how God had opened the doors to the Gentiles. First thing he did is come back, look, God did this, God opened this door, God opened that door. The apostolic church was a missionary church. Their primary concern was not buildings, comfort, or self. It was lost people. Paul was always praying and looking for new territory to preach. As a matter of fact, he says, I don't want to preach on any build on any other man's foundation. So he was looking towards Spain, and he told the Romans, pray for me. I'm on my way over there, Romans 15, 20 through 24. As you know, he knew his commission to preach the gospel in Acts 9, 15 on the road to Damascus. In fact, Paul was in prison for this very thing, as we'll see as we move along. Unless we are willing to pray to God that he opened doors, we won't go. But when we pray for open doors and those doors open, we better go. Very important. Notice the message was God's word, the mystery of Christ, for which he was in chains for at the present time. And the word mystery, you know, mysterion. It was used by the Greeks for initiation of a member in the religious rites and their ceremonies, possessing some special knowledge that there's no other way they could get. Paul uses this very same word they use to show the sufficiency of Christ. It's him. You're initiated into the kingdom of God, into the epitome of wisdom and direction in the person of Christ. 
The root word is mua. It means to shut the mouth. So it was something that was previously hidden in the past, but now made very clear and evident in the present. The mystery of gospel, the mystery of Christ, Jew, Gentile, one in Christ. Totally mind-blowing for the Jews. They didn't know how to handle it. He mentions it several times, chapter 1, verse 26, 27, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 4, verse 3 here. Jesus spoke of the kingdom parables, mysteries kept secret from the foundation of the world in Matthew 13. Study them, learn them, the church age. And for that reason, Paul says that he was a steward of the mysteries of God in 1 Corinthians 4.1. He would be held responsible for what God had imparted to him, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we said, his present residence was at Rome, in prison, in chains for the gospel, the mystery of Christ. He was nearly killed. Remember, he was brought to the temple, and then he was allowed to speak in the steps of the Antonius Fortress. Then he was arrested and taken over to uh, Philippi in the Mediterranean because uh, there was a plot against his life. He was there for a couple of years until he appealed to uh, Caesar, and now he was there in Rome. Waiting. He writes to the Philippians and says, you guys don't be bummed out. Don't worry about it. I'm here by appointment. By the way, some are preaching Christ out of envy, trying to add afflictions to me. Others are preaching Christ because they're getting courageous. And what do I care? At least Christ is being preached. And in that I do rejoice. Well, where is he at? The Marriott? No, he's in a Roman prison. Paul says, you know, I'm bound, but the word of God is not bound. 2 Timothy 2.9. Wherever you go, wherever I go, we speak. We speak the words of life. Notice in verse 4, Paul's petition was also that he might preach clearly. Not just preach. Clearly. You ever see one of these guys in the park when I was growing up in L.A.? I never, I, I never heard the gospel. But I remember going to McCartan Park. You guys remember McCartan Park? But you'd have these guys in their soapbox, and they would preach, and they're just yelling. Couldn't understand anything. Good intentions, but wrong. He wants to speak clearly. The amazing thing is to see how man can ruin the gospel and complicate it, make it so difficult, or we dilute it so much that it has no resemblance to the good news of Jesus Christ. It's just mamby-pamby, warm kind of love. We just love everybody. It doesn't matter. We will just be there for you. And there's no cry out against sin. There's no call out against repentance. And that is a vomitorium. That's not a church. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, quoting Habakkuk 2.4. That's the thesis of Romans. And he nails everybody. And when he gets to chapter 3, Jew and Gentile are before their face and they're wiped out. Notice the personal responsibility for proclaiming the gospel clearly and faithfully is emphasized by the phrase, as I ought. Every time you come across the word ought or must, underline it, put a red underneath it. The word ought communicates the idea of obligation and is translated many times by the word must. So here, as we Ought. Paul was fully aware of his God-given obligation by his call. Listen to him. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yes, and woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.16. Did not Jesus say that we are his witnesses? 
that we would be empowered by the Spirit of God, even as his disciples. So it's God speaking through us. God desires to speak through you, to use you as a vessel as well as myself. And therefore, since we have this hope, Paul says, we use great boldness of speech in 2 Corinthians 3.12. It's a boldness of confidence, not of arrogance. It's a boldness of that I know this to be certain, not that I hope so. For the God of this world has blinded the eyes of man, lest the light of the glorious gospel should come upon them and they be saved, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. Paul prayed for boldness as an ambassador when he wrote to the Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 19 through 20. Pray for me for boldness. God has put you, you say, well, you know, I can't believe it. I'm in this stinking place where I work and I'm the only Christian. Really? Boy, God must really trust you with the 500 heathens. You must be quite a Christian. He's put you there to be a light. Don't be praying, Lord, get me into a Christian work. No. Your prayer should be, Lord, how are you going to use me here? Spurgeon was once asked the secret of his ministry. He took the person over to this room under the chapel. He opened the door, and a bunch of people kneeling down praying. He says, every time I preach the word of God, they're praying. That's the secret of the power of a ministry, not the man, but the people who are petitioning God that the word would affect the hearts and the lives of people who are hearing. God has put this treasure in this earth and vessel that the power and glory may be of God and not of ourselves. Paul says. We're to continue and be instant in prayer, Romans 12, 12 says. We ought always to pray and faint not, Luke 18, 1 says. Reverse it. We faint because we don't pray. <laughs> the command to be vigilant in prayer is a command to trust God for everything as our total dependency. Remember Nehemiah, Nehemiah 4, 9? He watched for destruction and distractions of the enemy. Watch. And he prayed. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptations, Jesus said. The flesh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Matthew 26, 41. The spirit helps our infirmities. We don't know how to pray as we ought, Romans 8, 26. Jude tells us to build up ourselves in our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Jude 20. Paul the apostle told the Ephesian elders to watch, Acts 20, 31. The Corinthians were told to watch and stand fast in faith in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. The Thessalonians were told to watch and be sober in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Get a concordance. Watch, watch, pray, pray. They're correlated together. The reason is because Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5, 8. The attack is against God. Prayer is essential for the life of the Christian and the church. And it's comparable to breathing. It is to God that we pray and depend on, not man, affirming the sufficiency of Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, the believer. It is in His name, and we pray to the Father, John 16 tells us. He's the sufficient one to bring us before the Father. Our lives should reveal the open doors, even as they are revealed in the life of Paul. If we truly believe the gospel message, and eternal damnation, we will preach the gospel, but it will only be effective through prayer. To open doors, to preach the mystery of Christ, and to preach it clearly. 
Absolutely. So the believers to be persistent in prayer. Pastor Xavier Reese and the secret to living a successful life, prayer. Now there's still more to come. That's next time. If you won't be able to join us, you can always get a copy of the complete unedited message available on CD for only $4. The title to ask for is Practice for Living. And when you're done, pass it along to someone in your church or Bible study. So once again, the title to ask for is Practice for Living, or simply mention today's date. And you can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What's the difference between going to church and really living out your faith? That's our topic on the next Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com